is an exclusive presentation from Sports Radio 92.7. WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. Let's do it, Bone. I know you're worried. I know you're nervous over there. I know Flounder might have to hold you during this, but I was thinking what? yesterday during this, um, as I'm studying up more and more, reading what different you know kind of scouts say, also you know watching more and more of, of Scoot and Brandon Miller. I've come, I've got it. I've had a Scoot epiphany here. All right, I've had a little bit of an epiphany about how much I love Scoot Henderson as a prospect. Who, by the way, Sam Vecini is the latest one to say this guy in most drafts would be the number one pick. He is that good. We are in a draft with an absolute French freak. All right. We got a French fried freak in Victor Wembayana. <laughs> okay. This is not a normal draft. In normal drafts is what Sam Vecini is saying. Scoot Henderson is that dude. So I believe we're getting a number one pick caliber guy if we draft Scoot. I believe, Bone, the more I study Scoot, I believe if we draft him, LaMelo Ball becomes over time the second best player on this basketball team. I think Scoot Henderson will be a better NBA player than LaMelo Ball. I think if we draft Scoot Henderson, Bone, I think you then have your superstar. Like a lot of us have thought, is LaMelo Ball our superstar? We've all debated, hey, how good is he? What type of supporting cast does he need? Is he a one? Is he a two? And that sort of thing. I think Scoot Henderson, who every scout will tell you is a flat-out alpha. LaMelo Ball... A little more passive, a little more go with the flow. This dude is going to come in here and will absolutely hate losing. This dude will come in here and I think change the culture and the mindset. And then you look at his explosiveness. LaMelo Ball is an ultra-skilled player at his size. Scoot Henderson's explosiveness is literally like something from outer space. Like, I mean, is he an alien or a real human being? Like, this is high-level athleticism, explosiveness, Alpha dog mentality. If you draft Brandon Miller, I think you're drafting a complimentary player to LaMelo. I think you're drafting a guy that will do a lot of damage off ball when LaMelo drives, creates, and kicks to him. I think if you draft Scoot Henderson, I think you're drafting someone that will elevate the franchise. I, is, that, is that too strong? I know, we gotta, I know we're all LaMelo fans. Is that too strong to say Scoot Henderson will be the best player on the team if we draft him? <coughs> Excuse me. Are you all right over there, Bo? Man down. You got something over there? This was a big moment. Some water? Your response to my Scoot Piffany was going to be a very anticipated moment. All right, you all right over there? Let's keep talking. Oh, I need... <laughs> I already oh, my felt, God. I wow. I felt bad about how long I was talking for. I said this is like when that bug went down my throat at training camp. I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay. I had, the, I had a little... Uh, I had, <coughs> you good there? Is someone poisoned my fellow man of Scoot over here? Did a God sakes, water. Did someone get off the Brandon bus and poison a man of Scoot this morning? Well, what I was going to say was before uh, the, the frog situation happened there was, I don't think it's that crazy. I think both guys, Mac, oh, well, Melo already is, but I think we're looking at two guys that can be all-stars in the very same backcourt. When you go through skill for skill, maybe not today, but going forward, what is Lamelo going to have skill-wise over Scoot Henderson? 
when it comes to physicality and attacking the basket, that's going to be Scoot, right? Scoot's physically stronger. He attacks the rack. Lamelo's still trying to figure out how to go all the way to the rim and finish with strength. Lamelo's got to get physically stronger. That's one of the things he has to work on. Lamelo has the shooting right now. He has that over Scoot. But if Scoot gets a shot from long range, what? and I love Lamelo. But it's a good problem to have when you have two guards potentially that good. But when you project Scoot, if he's as good as we think he can be, what is Lamelo besides height going to truly have that Scoot doesn't have? His passing will be better. He's an elite level he passer. That, and Scoot's passing is good. It's getting better. But uh, I think Scoot's best when he's scoring. I think Scoot's best when he's getting downhill, attacking, and scoring. And he knows how to finish. I mean, I'm looking at all the different varieties of finishes. He's added a floater to the mix. He has the pull-up mid-range jumper, which is just filthy. He can take it all the way and dunk on you. I mean, some of those baskets he scored. Watch the highlights of him against Victor Wembayana. Victor might not have been the best player on the floor in that game. Scoot Henderson rose to the occasion. You could tell it was personal for him in that game when he put up 29-9. They played a second time. Scoot got hurt in that game, unfortunately. But the first one, I remember when it was on TV, Bone, and I was kind of paying attention, but it didn't matter at the time, the way it matters now. He was unfreaking believable. Like, Scoot Henderson, to me, is a number one player on a good basketball team. Scoot Henderson has the ability, I think, to be All-NBA. I look at Brandon Miller and think that's a guy who can be an All-Star. I'm not again. I don't think Brandon Miller's terrible, but Brandon Miller doesn't have that stuff you can't teach. The explosiveness is not there. He's smooth. He glides, but he does not have like there. He didn't finish at the rim at six nine bone. He was thirty eight percent on layups at six nine at Alabama. Thirty eight percent on. He doesn't finish. He can't handle contact. It's just Scoot Henderson is born to finish amongst trees, man. He is. Scoot Henderson may not have the height of Jimmy Butler, but there might be an attitude like Jimmy Butler. I don't mean the the alienating teammates and stuff. I, I mean in terms of wanting to will his team the way that Jimmy Butler does. Yeah. I'm not comparing them as players necessarily. It's a good I think, personality I think, comparison. I think there's a Jimmy Butler side to Scoot that is going to say, I'm not letting it, I'm not letting us lose tonight. That you see sometimes with Jimmy Butler. By the way, this texter says, "What about the outside shooting?" I saw, I firmly believe his shooting will get to around at least 35% or so, and I think that would be good enough where people honor it and then he just blows on past them. Um uh, or if they don't, you know, if they make him shoot it, I think it'll still be good enough. I don't think he'll shoot it. I don't think he'll shoot it or pass it as good as LaMelo. But I just think, I think the Westbrook, Rose, and John Morant comparisons, I think there is legit merit to them. Those guys were special athletes. Oh, by the way, Scoot Henderson has a relationship, and he's working out almost daily with Steph Curry. I'm not saying he's going to have a Steph Curry shot, but certainly Steph Curry knows a thing or two about how maybe to help someone Definitely. with their outside shot. Definitely. I'm just going to guess I that Steph's saying – Here's some tricks of the trade here. There was an young, article, young, young Scooty. There was an article somebody sent me about draft trends, and there was a graphic in there from 2019. If you're like, they're trying to look at what players bone that don't shoot it well before they get to the NBA will start to shoot it well because you see this a lot. It's guys that are great athletes that don't need the outside shot until they get to the NBA, and then there's so many elite athletes around them, right? And the, the study revealed that if you shoot 72% or more from the free throw line since 2019, 
even if you shoot less than 30% from three, those guys make – the, the list of guys that fit into that criteria went up 8% three-point shooting. And some of the names on their bone, Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves did not shoot it well in college from three. He's 36% now. Anthony Edwards. I think people forget. One. Yeah. People forget, and, uh, and LaMelo was on the list too, by the way. People forget that Anthony Edwards' outside shot was a huge question when he came out. He's now 35%. Again, he's gotten to 35%. So there were a bunch of guys on that list that it's not unusual for guys to struggle to shoot it. And by the way, people are, are screwing scoot on the shoot on the three point percentage. If you include the, the uh, G league showcase tournament, which he played unbelievable, unbelievably in and shot the ball 41% from three in those six games. If you add those games in, he was 32% from three last year, not 27%. For some reason, people just go with the, the regular season games. This was a tournament. It, G League tournament, and, and, he, and he shot the hell out of the ball. So Mac, Donovan, that should be included, too. Donovan Mitchell played two years of college basketball. Year one, he shot 25% from three. Donovan Mitchell this season was at 39%. Yeah, it took a while, but he went from 25 at Louisville year one. Uh, year two in the NBA, Mac, he was at 36% already. Yeah. So from year one in college to year two in the NBA, he went up 12%. Three-point shooting wise. It happens so often. It really does, man. Kawhi Leonard's another one. He was at, uh, what was he from three, Bone? 25% three-point shooter in college. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I'll have to look up his percentage now, but it's a hell of a lot better than 25%. It's one it, of, his, it's one of his, his biggest attributes. It happens with so many guys. And I also think, here's another one. Uh, the men of Scoot are an annoying group of men. This is a propaganda show. Scoot Henderson's defense will be terrible. Brandon Miller will be a lockdown. Brandon Miller, I, I, most of the scouts that I read, they seem to think he's okay defensively. Like, he's definitely versatile. There's a lot to work with there, too, in terms of size and athletic. That, well, that's the key is the versatility, right? Like, he can switch a lot of things. Um, his lateral movement is not as good as Scoot's. Scoot Henderson has, de I think, has defensive potential that people don't and talk he's gonna, about. He's going to work. He's going to work at it. He well. works his ass off. He's got a six nine wingspan. I, I just, I think there is very quick laterally. I think there is more. People seem to think Scoot picks his spots defensively, and you just need that to to change. You know, at the next level. It's it's just. I mean, he's not a finished product either. That's no, the thing no. about it. He's not perfect. Obviously, he's obviously got to work on the shooting and defense. But I think when you look at his work ethic, how Mac, think about how hard he's worked on his body in the last couple of years. Think about how physically strong he is. If a guy's going to put that much work into his body at 18 and 19 years old to get physically strong, we don't think that that work rate can translate to shooting and defense. We don't think that once that body's ready to go, and it is for the NBA, that with coaching and, and more work ethic that he has, we don't think that that, that type of mindset is going to translate to working hard on your game. We don't think Scoot's going to work hard on his game. That that's, that's if you don't think so, that's that's blasphemous. Yeah, I agree. And everybody will tell you how hard that dude will work. Uh, this texter says Mac is no longer in the Lamelo fan club. Mark the moment down when Mac became a Lamelo hater, much like he became a Cam hater. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying, Lamelo. Like we've thought about this, right? Like if we want to be a great team down the road. Is LaMelo the number one or the number two? I think if Scoot and LaMelo played together for eight years, 
I think they would be one of the best backcourts in the NBA. I think, like you say, they could both be all-stars. But I think Scoot Henderson would be seen as the number one on this team. I just in, think he in, is special, man, in so many ways, physically, mentally. Think about how much know? the rest of the roster would benefit from those guys as well. They they have to find the right guys that could shoot the basketball. But you surround Scoot and Lamelo with a stretch four that consistently can hit shots from the outside, stretch the floor, creates driving lanes for Scoot and Lamelo. We've said it a couple times recently. Think about Mark Williams' benefit of those two guys. How many baskets, Mac, is he going to get off of lobs from Omelo or Scoot in the mid-run? How many dunks is – how many times is Eric Collins going to yell out about a dunk from Mark Williams? It's going to be ridiculous. How many fast break baskets are we going to get oh. with Scoot oh. and Lamelo? Oh. And then you could be adding Bridges in. Oh, cal- calm yourself, Bone. You oh. all right over there? Oh. Almost had the big Oscar. Uh, by the way, um, uh, this guy says – Stop that. Stop this, that. This guy says we are we are starting a group called the Boys of Brandon. Brandon Miller doesn't get any run on this show. I bet you guys couldn't tell me three positives and three negatives about Brandon Miller's game. You are blinded by Scoot and his abs. Okay, well, you've uh, told him that he's size, <laughs> ability. Have you been looking at his abs, Bone? Have you been looking at Scoot's abs lately? Size, handle, ability to run the pick and roll. There's a lot of things. We don't hate Brandon Miller. I think like Rod Boone said the Hornets are getting better on Thursday night. It's just a matter of how much better are they getting. Brandon Miller, to me... Elite shooter. That's his elite skill. Handles it pretty well. Can pass high, it. Although, high upside defender. Can, can pass it, although the assists weren't, you know, weren't there. There's only two assists per game. As far as the pick and roll, he runs it. He doesn't run it like Scoot's going to run it. He doesn't blow past people. I, that's the thing with Brandon Miller for me. He is not anywhere near as explosive as Scoot. He's not an elite-level athlete. I always call him smooth. He's a smooth player. He runs the pick-and-roll. A lot of the pick-and-roll highlights I've seen, Bone, with Brandon Miller are pick-and-roll, hezzy, hezzy, jumper. Yes. Like, he has a great ability to kind of, let me step back, let me get you off balance, jumper. He couldn't finish in the SEC. I just, I don't think he's going to get in amongst the NBA trees where they're bigger, faster, stronger. I just don't think he's going to be great getting into the basket, you know. But th- that's why I say Brandon Miller, I think, compliments LaMelo. I think Scoot Henderson pulls LaMelo and the Hornets to another level, personally. Another point that a texter brings up that we mentioned a few times last week, and I know exactly what Mac is going to say when I say this. There's reports that Scoot Henderson is just a tick below 6'4". He's, 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 he's 6'3"-ish, but just below 6'4", as opposed to being... Six one or six two, six four, Mac, almost six four when he measures in shoes. Your thoughts on guys measuring with their shoes? Why on. do we ever measure in barefoot? They're never playing barefoot, for God's sake. Seriously, my dad says back in his day it's they so did, dumb. Back in his day they did. Pete Maravich so played with bigger, those. Pete Maravich had no shoes on. I think is what he said. He's once. bigger than he's bigger than Terry. Yeah, so he's oh, bigger yeah. than Terry, so we're going to have a bigger backcourt. So get off the size thing. Um, by the way, a texter wants to know, do the boys of Brandon have their own cool song like Mac and Bone have from Man of Scoot, Man of Scoot, Man of Scoot, we are Man of Scoot. Man of Scoot, yeah. Well, What's the boys of Brandon song? What, what was the boys of Summer song? <laughs> you think they just do a parody of that? Yeah, boys of, boys, boys of, of Brandon. <laughs> boys of Brandon sounds like a group 
that involves Joe Biden and it's I'm a little uncomfortable. Oh, you know no. what I mean? Oh, Sounds like a group that Fox News would talk about that involves oh, Biden somehow. I don't oh, know. No. Anyway. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier this week on the Kyle Bailey Show. Jess's thirsty stalker also, every once in a while, he tries to get the digs in. I do appreciate that about him. Because he thinks it's going to get under my skin, but I know his shtick by now. He says, I realize KB is artificially sucking up to Pete Gwelly. But if in your 13 years as owner, your biggest success is, well, I was slightly better than Bob Johnson, that's nothing to brag about. All right, well, let's talk about that with Pete Gwelly, a man who shared a different perspective on Saturday on Twitter, the former COO of the Charlotte Hornets, the chief business officer of the New York football giants, but a man who I know for a fact still loves the Queen City very, very much. Pete Gwelly is back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. My friend, it has been too long. How are you? Much too long, Kyle. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And uh, you heard me read that text right there. And I know you probably saw some of that on Twitter and probably felt compelled to share your perspective on Michael Jordan's 13 years of ownership here. Why why did you say what you said on Twitter Saturday? Uh, You know, I think some people don't have the same perspective maybe I do. I was there. And when he bought that majority stake in 2010, I mean, people forget that team was hemorrhaging cash. I'm talking about tens of millions of dollars. It was in as bad a shape as an organization could be. I don't candidly know what would have happened if he didn't buy in. I mean, the relationships with local government, the media, business community, they were fractured. The perception around the arena, that wasn't even good. People didn't like how it was built. They were disenfranchised about the way it was financed. So I'm not sure how it started with the Bobcats in the early Bob Johnson years, but I know what he inherited, and it was a disaster. So a different texter, one of my listeners just said, KB, I appreciate you sharing the alternative narrative regarding MJ's tenure as owner, because I think the narrative that he was a bad owner because he employed his friends and family is a lazy narrative. Let me stop there. Um, what, what, what did you make of it? You've heard that before. MJ employed his friends and family. We, we can talk about these things now that the sale's official, because that is something that right or wrong, Pete, people used to say and still do about Michael Jordan all the time. Yeah, look, I, I probably see a little bit different having worked for multiple teams and multiple leagues. I mean, these are family businesses. So there's always always going to be some subset of that. But mm-hmm. look, as far as running that organization on a day-to-day basis, I thought there's a lot of things that he did incredibly well. I mean, he took a franchise that, you know, I don't know where it would be right now. I don't know if it would even be in the market at this point in time and stabilized it and created an environment where that brand could prosper. But, you know, when I got there, that Bobcats brand had absolutely zero equity. And it was everything was trending in the wrong direction. So, yes, certainly the team performance could have been better. But there's a lot of things that are very positive that happened under his leadership. And I think the one thing, other thing that's not really talked about either, he was a big player at the league level and securing a new CBA when he was there and some of those TV deals. There's a lot of things he did behind the scenes at the NBA at the, NBA, at the league level that made a big difference. So you worked with Michael. You got to know Michael. But Michael can still be kind of a guarded guy. I mean, when did you feel like you started to get to know the greatest basketball player of all time at a global icon? Is it possible to really get to know a person who's achieved that level of fame? I don't know that it really is. And we like, we had a tremendous relationship. He treated everybody around that organization like gold. He was an incredible person to work for. 
it didn't take long to forge a business relationship. Um, he was just great to come to the office and, and be part of what we were doing. I think he empowered people, gave them a lot of autonomy to do their jobs. He's the kind of owner that you want to work for. You know, I've worked for a number of them, and he was just he was good in that space. So I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you ever know an owner or someone you work for on a truly deep personal level, but from a business perspective, he was a tremendous person to work for. Pete Gwelly, Chief Business Officer of the New York Football Giants, former COO of your Charlotte Hornets. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Uh, Gabe Plotkin, a, a now former minority owner, and Rick Schnall, who was the same in Atlanta, uh, are going to be the new co-governors of this team, co-owners of this team. Uh, anything you know about those guys that you can share, and, and what do you think uh, is the challenge they have ahead of them? Look, I, I've met Rick. Uh, I don't know Gabe, but you know, I can tell you, I think the the good thing about this is they've built an incredible foundation. MJ and the team have built an incredible foundation. I, mean, I hate to leave off Fred. I mean, Fred is synonymous with that brand, and some of the things he's done to that market, in spite of some of the challenges, are really, really incredible. But they're inheriting a great foundation. Get a new look at what's going on. I mean, the one thing I would recommend to everybody there is have a little bit of patience. I mean, the draft is next week, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think the deal is even closed yet, so it takes some time for someone to put their – imprint on the organization, but they both have some experience. Gabe's obviously been there as a minority owner. Rick's been in Atlanta. And I wouldn't be surprised if they followed the West Eden's Mark Lazary model in Milwaukee. They took a small market team and they developed an incredible business and they won. So there is a blueprint out there for success in a market like Charlotte. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. You mentioned the draft uh, Thursday night. Shameless plug again. Uh, join us Thursday night, the WFNZ NBA draft show. Myself, Paul Biancardi, live from the Spectrum Center. Should be a good time, just like last year. Uh, Scooter, Brandon Miller. Pete, you're out of the NBA now. You can, you can give me a pick. Who do you like? Look, I'm still going back to the Anthony Davis draft that we lost out on when I was there. Oh, come you on. Know, it, look, it just shows you there's a lot of things that are out of your control. You know, that was way back. I think it was 2012, and we were supposed to get the number one pick, and we didn't get it. And you had a franchise-changing player sitting right there, and he, he went somewhere else. And then I think it was was it 2013-14 that we won 48. We had 48 wins that one season, and we were, we were right there. And then I think the economics in the league changed. There was a lot of money, and um, you know some of the decisions just didn't work out. But it, the team has been close a couple of times to getting there, and hopefully this draft with the number two pick, they can leverage that to something great to build around. I would agree. Now, on the other side of town, kind of, the, uh, the the Panthers just took the number one overall pick and, and made it Bryce Young, quarterback out of Alabama. Given you know your ascendance in sports business and what you do for a living, put us in the shoes of uh, the, the Panthers' business uh, operation. Like, how excited are you to market this kid? Like anytime you have a, a, a number one pick in the draft, it's something that you can you can go to market with in a big way. So I can't really get specific on what another team's doing. Sure, Kyle. sure. Unfortunately, but yeah, that's an incredible asset to have. And, um, you know, look, you put everything into it. I think our job as leaders in this business are to create expectations and live up to them. And when you get the number one pick in the draft, there's high expectations. So you lean into it and um, you, you try to turn those players into the most valuable players that they could possibly be and you build around them and and hopefully that leads to a tremendous amount of success for the franchise. Well, and that leads me into what's going on with you guys up there. Um, incredible first season with Brian Dayball. You, you got Daniel Jones locked up to a deal. I don't think, and I've got a lot of friends who are Giants fans, I don't think I've seen them this excited about Giants football in, uh, well, just let's say a long time. Uh, what's the energy like up there? It's it's really amazing. I mean, that's one thing I can talk about. We're really in a great situation right now. Joe and, and Dave, you really can't find two better leaders for the performance side of your business. And they're completely aligned with everything else we're doing from ownership to the GM, to the coach, to everything going on on the business side. To me, that's how you win championships. And I think all those pieces are in place. Like a lot of things have to happen 
Well, we say it all the time, like, you know, alignment doesn't guarantee success, but lack of alignment will guarantee failure. So, you know, let's mitigate that downside. Let's make sure everybody is lined up to be successful. And if you do that, you've got a good chance. And I feel like um, we're in a great position up here. Well, it makes sense to me. Uh, Now, address something for me, if you would, because you're a really smart guy and I respect your opinion. I have, especially ever since the fall of NFL Europe, I've always felt like the NFL's, uh, you know, attempt to, to, you know, reenact the global conquest and expand into international markets was a bit of a fool's errand, at least, you know, the way that it seemed like they were trying to do it. But they're expanding, getting into Germany and other places in Europe, obviously an establishment in, in London already. Uh, you've got a great business mind. How does the NFL make American football work globally? Can it be done? I think it can be done. I think the model that the NFL is putting forth right now is a good one. We're actually evaluating markets and trying to determine what we want to pursue as an organization. And a lot of it is kind of lining up exactly you know, where, where do you fit? What kind of equity does your brand have in that market? And where's the best place to launch? I think they're putting it in the hands of the teams and the teams have proven to be great marketers. I think that was a great first step. So teams are lining up, picking the markets they want, and they're starting to invest in those. And I think if you put the investment in and you attack it the way we have attacked it domestically, you can start to build some equity and, and start to leverage those markets. So it's it's early in the process. It's, like, it's going to take a lot of time. This is not a short-term project, which is why we haven't entered yet. We want to make sure that we have everything lined up on our end and make sure all the projects we have here in the States are going the way we want them to before we opt in. But I do think it's got a lot of long-term potential. What, what about, last thing, what about Mexico City or, or anywhere in Mexico? Because that's one that's fascinating to me. I, I didn't know there was the appetite that apparently exists, especially in a place like Mexico City. But what's your outlook there? Yeah, I mean, Cali, I haven't spent a lot of time there because we don't, sure. we're not over-indexing down there right now. We've been evaluating markets like the U.K. and Germany. But as you know, there's a number of teams that have already built up a base of fans down there. And, you know, from what I understand, a little anecdotal, but they're doing well so far right now, leveraging the opportunities in that market. Love it. Pete Gwelly, you're the best. Always to the point. We miss you around here, buddy. Thank you for the time. Yep, glad, glad to be here. Thanks, Kyle. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. There's a lot of angry texters calling Mitch Kupchak and Michael Jordan and a lot of the Charlotte Hornets front office an American idiot right now. That's how mad they are about this latest report with Brandon Miller. Scoot Henderson not looking like the guy they're going to take if you believe this report from Jake Fisher on Yahoo saying it does look like Brandon is going to be the guy after Victor Wembanyama is taken number one overall. Brandon is going to be the guy at number two. And then Portland has always been expected to take whoever's left over from Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. Now, one thing that is coming through a lot on the text line, Wes, is still people not believing this because the Hornets are tight-lipped. Yeah. They don't leak a ton of info. Traditionally. You have seen a lot of teams reportedly interested in trading up for Scoot Henderson. We had not heard a lot of teams really interested in trading up for Brandon Miller. But Woj has talked about how there have been teams looking to trade up in the last couple of days for the Alabama product. And he even said a lot of front office execs have Brandon Miller number two on their board. So the last couple of days, Woj has been discussing, yes, teams do value Brandon, even if it has been coming out just a little bit later. Here are some of the texts we're getting in. Showtime. He writes in that he's a fan of Brandon Miller. He says, Scoot is Markel Fultz. Brandon Miller is Jason Tatum. Wow. 813 said, will Brandon Miller even beat out Miles Bridges? If we are keeping Miles, 
dot, dot, dot. Maybe the fit is something he's alluding to there. Maybe that's a fit against Brandon because yeah. you do have some front court guys. And 813 said, I thought Miles was LaMelo's guy too. And so that's another thing. Maybe if LaMelo's like, hey, draft Brandon, is Brandon going to be the future wing? But you can, you know, again, just like I don't, just to let y'all know it works it's messy, both ways. man. Just to let y'all know it works both ways for me. I don't want to leave Brandon Miller off the table because of fit too. It doesn't matter. Gordon Hayward is going to be gone. Miles Bridges, you figure out a way to have both of them on the floor. You can do that. P.J. Washington, if you want to pay him 20 mil, 15, 18, whatever, you can bring him off the bench. Like, the fit doesn't matter for Scoot, and it doesn't matter for Brandon Miller. It just seems like people are more so saying it against taking Scoot, and that's why we've been talking about that storyline for the most part. Doesn't make any sense to me. You got some? Oh, no. I, th- I thought you were uh, I thought you were done, but I was going to say that the fit does matter to me in, in ways because I feel like if you bring in a number two overall pick, then you, you're considering him a franchise player. That's how you view him. And yeah. So I think you should treat him as such, and I think you need to bring him in. And if he's ready to go, you play him, you start him, and you get him going. And I think if you bring in Miles Bridges, that can stagnate that because they play the same position. And Miles is going to come back with the mentality that he wants to get back what he lost and he wants to be an all-star and he wants to do all this stuff. Now, if you want to go the route of you're deciding, as I've been saying, decide on who your big two is, who your big three is. So if you want want to go with the theory that Miles, LaMelo, Brandon Miller, that's your trio going forward, okay, that's fine. I can live with that. But if you're not sure and that's in flux as far as figuring out which direction you want to go, I think you need to give the young man every opportunity to come in and flourish from day one and not have to have anybody uh, in his position that's going to be taking minutes and shots, potentially. Fit just makes my head explode. It, It doesn't matter to me at all whatsoever. Take the best player available. We can go to Golden State drafting for fit. What they thought was the better fit going after James Wiseman instead of LaMelo Ball, and that was a bad pick immediately. It may not work out immediately. Escalate. It's it's not improving. Like rookie improvement is not an escalator type thing where every year they get better. They start out here and then every single year they go better. Right. It goes up and down. But James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball, that was pretty immediately a bad selection for Golden State. And they selected Wiseman because Kavon Looney was their best center at the time. But if they would have drafted LaMelo, think about how great their situation is. Things change so quickly in the NBA. Yeah, LaMelo is your guy right now. But if I even talked about how it's the fit isn't not only bad, it's also it's amazing. Like, I, I think it's a great backcourt fit. And so we can talk about that a little bit more so, too. Chuck T said there's a whole lot of fake fans out there because of anger from some of the fans. A meet might be somebody that he's writing in about because he wrote in. Me and my friends are all done with our season tickets if Miller is the pick. That's not what I'm telling you to do, by the way. Scoot is the better talent and much better in the locker room. We aren't going to support a person who brought a gun to a murder because it's just another turning of heads we go. on off-court issues, which the Hornets are a little unique with dealing with this type of situation compared to Portland right now and other teams because James Booknight has had the arrest for DUI, multiple run-ins in that case. We know about Miles Bridges having a felony domestic violence charge and arrest last offseason. And now we have Brandon Miller, who is tangentially related to the murder of Jamia Harris. Not criminally involved, hasn't been criminally charged or arrested, but is related in some aspect. How big of a deal is that to you that the Hornets are going to take Brandon and, you 
know, if if the reports are true, take Brandon and bring back Miles Bridge. You and I originally talked about this, and I just said just being a kid growing up in this town, it always feels like when we get a, a great player, a good player, there's always seeming to be some type of caveat with it. And I said with Miles coming back based off what he did, and then with Brandon coming in here potentially off of what he did, I just said I think it's a bad mix. And that was another reason why I said keep one, not the other. So if you bring Miles back, draft Scoot. Because I just hate it for this city, this town, that every time you have to get, uh, that you get a player that ends up being a stud for you or could end up being a stud for you, there's some type of caveat. Yeah, he's coming in, buddy did this, buddy did that. And for the PR to me, for the Hornets, with these two players potentially entering into your team next season, I, I just don't think it's a good look. Um, Basketball-wise, sure, both of these young men can play, but I just think Brandon Miller especially uh, talking about that, just the optics of it all, just trying to figure out the character of this kid, who is this kid, based off of this incident. And, yes, he didn't do the, the, the actual killing, but just the fact of the mentality. We talked about him bringing the gun, just all of those things mixed up. It, it's interesting to me the more that he will be here if they take him, just getting to know him and figuring out what type of kid he is because that's the thing, too. We know a lot about Scoot at this point from reports, from stories, from things that we've seen, but it just feels like that Brandon's a little bit of an enigma, and I think that's what puts a little bit of a dark cloud over him as a prospect as well. Uh, Matt Greensboro wrote in, better fit is the worst reason ever to take a player. Ask Portland about it. Uh, Michael Jordan, 83, reference there. Bud Lightyear said, fit does not matter if you keep LaMelo. Myron Goodman going the other way, saying Walker shooting in today's NBA is a must. Brandon Miller is a better shooter than Scoot, and if that is the reason, I'm in. All right, well, we'll just take Grady Dick then. <laughs> I mean, what are we? What are we doing? You have to have something a little bit more. You can't just say Scoot is not a great shooter. Don't take him. We've seen people get better at shooting before, and so that's why I, I dispel that notion. No, but Brandon Miller is a better shooter, and he is a six-nine guy who can handle it a little bit. Who is a great passer. Who was good. In half-court situations, more so shooting from three-point range. Half-court at the rim, the, the numbers were, were pretty damn bad. Transition, Brandon Miller was good, though. So, Scoot, I think, would be great in transition. Brandon Miller also was good, so I don't think that's taking a huge hit. Uh, we'll continue, because a lot of people are writing in. I want to give people the voices out there. We're men of the people, I like to believe. Yeah, we are. We like to give the people what they want. 757, I like the idea of picking Brandon Miller big time. Look at the Celtics' big two. The Knicks big two, well, Jalen Brunson's backcourt. The Nuggets bigs as well, plus Gordon Hayward not going to be around much longer, plus more shooting is needed. Don't you think so? Or he's needed too, question mark. Yeah, I saw Nada put this out there too about Denver. So Nada is, uh, Nada Edwards, uh, producer of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, friend of the show. He talked about Denver switchy wings, how they had a lot of that. Um I mean, I'd, I'd argue their second best player was a backcourt player, but also you do have some switchy wings with Denver. Size does matter in the NBA. It does, no doubt about it. I do think Brandon Miller's defense might be a little overrated in my opinion. I don't view him as an amazing defender coming out of college. I think he gambles a lot. 
I think if we're talking about lateral quickness, he can stay in front of wings. But if you play him at the two, you want him to guard smaller guys. I think that's something he'll be a little more susceptible to. But that's fine. I, team defense is a little bit, a, a little for me, a little wonky as well. But yeah, there are people that like the size of Brandon Miller, and I will give you that. Somebody six nine coming in, putting him at the two two guard spot, putting him at the three. It's certainly a perk for Brandon. I'm not going to deny that benefit. Yeah, and so I, I think that when you look at that, I, they see the guys around the league, as you just mentioned. They see the Celtics as big two. They see guys that are dominating in the league. And when you look at the playoffs, and it's it's wing players with some size for the most part that are the most successful or the leaders of championship teams. Now you look at the Nuggets, it is Jokic, but then you have Jamal Murray out there on the wing at the guard. Now he's not the biggest guy uh, in the book. You look at Miami, they had Jimmy Butler. So I think that this front office, they're just looking at the guys that are available to them and they feel like they want one of those guys and maybe Jason Tatum and, and players like him are the blueprint to where they're saying we've got to get one of those for us to get to the next level. Uh, Jay from Mount Holly, maybe people uh, people feel this way. Uh, he writes in, I've been high on Scoot from the beginning, but who is more valuable to a franchise? A 6'9 shooting guard who could be the next Jason Tatum or a 6'2, I'm guessing, point guard, he puts CG, who can't shoot but could be the next Jalen Rose? I mean, yeah, those... Jalen Rose. Oh, yeah, I guess he meant Derek. I'm, I'm probably yeah. he did say Jay Rose there, but maybe he does mean Derek Rose. If you believe Brandon Miller can be Jason Tatum, then OK. Not yeah, that, that comp I don't like. I'll admit that. I don't like that. Jason Tatum coming out of Duke had so many more tools in his bag. Like he played like an NBA player, covered him a Tatum ton film. for the ACC DN, cut up so much tape of this guy. He played like an NBA player. You could tell he watched NBA players mimic the moves and went out and did them. Brandon Miller, like I said, he is a really good player, but Tatum had a lot of tools of his in his bag coming into the league. Yeah, I, I, I don't argue with the fact that the 6'9 guy out there on the perimeter that can handle and be a jack of all trades, I do not deny that is the most important and valuable archetype of player in the NBA because they don't come around all that often. I just don't think that he's the kind of guy that can break out, break down defenders off of the dribble to the extent that Kevin Durant can, that Jason Tatum can, not even Paul George really. I mean, I hope Brandon Miller can get to his spots. Paul George might be a better cop just breaking guys down off the dribble, not explosiveness because Paul, what, I think he was in the finals of a dunk contest. If he didn't win it, he was close, but he doesn't have, I don't think we're going to see Brandon Miller in any dunk contest. They're not going to ask him, right? So I think when you talk about that archetype of player, I just don't see Brandon reaching that. I think what you're much more likely to see from Brandon and even the ceiling, to me, I go with the easy Chris Middleton comp, who is a good player, who is a multi-time all-star. And it won't be a miss if Brandon reaches Chris Middleton type ceiling. I just think we're talking about somebody in Scoot Henderson who has all NBA level. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. 
So a, a texter 980 number says, KB, seems to me all the fans want Scoot Henderson, but the experts all have Alabama's Brandon Miller rated higher, which is not entirely true. Um, I, I'm, again, just your observation is not a bad one. There are a lot of fans that want Scoot Henderson. But it's not all the fans. In fact, I've got three consecutive text messages below yours that, um, you know, send us messages to the contrary. Uh, 336 number simply said Brandon Miller has bad character. Uh, The Meathead says, I hated that Miller did the pat down during introductions of the Alabama game. That showed no respect for the girl that was murdered. Also, KB, why don't we say players that come out of Alabama don't work out like we say about Ohio State? Oh, that point guard is uh, crap because he's from Georgia Tech. PGU. We do that for football, but never for basketball. Um, Yeah, you're right. It's different. There's no doubt about that. Uh, College basketball changes so much. Well, yeah, I I agree with that. By the way, there's... Been a random player that got drafted in the lottery from Alabama that's been pretty good, Colin Sexton. Yeah, no, he's been pretty good. There's no doubt. Also, uh, Gerald Wallace is here. Yep, that's true, too. Um, but then also, that was that was number two. The third one is from Amit. Now, Amit is is fired up. He sent me something like a an essay. He says, y'all can't tell us long-suffering fans and season ticket holders that we can't be upset if Brandon Miller's the pick. On the court, the case is separate. Uh, we can give 20 reasons why Scoot is better than Miller. All right, well, go ahead and give me your 20. Because I know you like Scoot, I like Scoot, but I, I do think Miller can really ball. He goes on to say, though, but Smoke, you can't tell us off the court we can't complain and be furious. This team has immature guys that have had issues, uh, like their uh, IG older models and like partying. Now you're going to bring in the kid who took a gun to a murder and want us to be okay with it. After all, the Miles book, PJ with his IG girl issues, Monk had Coke issues. Well, okay, he says, now you'll give us Miller. Nah, we can't take our kids anymore. So, Amit, honest question. You're saying Brandon Miller is where you draw the line. Is that what you're saying? Brandon Miller is where you draw the line. It wasn't any of those other things that you just mentioned. Brandon Miller is where you draw the line, huh? Because I get that you like Scoot, and you may well be right about Scoot. Hell, we may be right about Scoot, because all three of us in this conversation have said on record that we prefer Scoot Henderson. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, Brandon Miller, they didn't see fit to arrest him down there. Um, Let's play this, too. Aaron Suttles, who's covered the Alabama Crimson Tide for over a decade, joined me yesterday, and I asked him point blank about Brandon Miller and perceived character issues, and he said this is the first time he'd answered these questions on air since the event. I feel confident in what I know, that I trust the young man. It was a tragic situation, and I think Alabama made blunder after blunder in PR and handling it, which did not help Brandon at all. But Brandon Miller was, despite all of that, I mean, you hate to use this situation as a as a character to develop character for a young man, but it, he he had to go through this. The more, you know, at least half the season, where every arena he went into, you can imagine what he heard. He had to play with that heavy on his mind, and still was the best college freshman in the country, and maybe arguably the best college player. So um, I, I feel confident if the, if that franchise there in Charlotte has done its homework, which I'm sure they have, they will be more than comfortable if they choose to select him in the NBA draft. There you go. That was, uh, again, Aaron Suttles, who covers Alabama, has for over a decade, yesterday here on the show. Um, You know, Gabe Example said that, you know, in his experience, that he was beloved in the building at Alabama, that the team managers loved him, the coaching staff. So, again, take that for what it's worth. I'm not telling you that I know it to be true, but somebody who's been there for over a decade covering the team day in, day out, says that's how things are down there. 
So you want me to sit up here and what? Go after Brandon Miller? I'm just telling you he can play. They're looking at him as a basketball prospect. I know that they're at least somewhat concerned with what happened down there. But when the authorities don't see fit to punish him, when the, the program at the university allowed him to keep playing immediately, what, what are we supposed to do? Say no boycott the Hornets if they take Brandon Miller? Out of all the ones that I feel like you quit the team over, it feels like Brandon Miller is not the one you would quit the team over. Of all the things that have happened. So it, that's kind of where it's weird. I know it's accumulated over the past, I don't know, between bad basketball over the past 20 years for the most part, the whole Miles Bridges situation over the last year, James Booknight being an idiot. If anything, Brandon Miller, more than anything, from what we know, was being more naive. And if it, and also, I would all like to point out that his head coach and the people that are in power there did not do him any favors, if anything, made the situation worse because Nate Oates just seemed like a total idiot throughout that whole process this past season. So, like, if they had, a, I feel like, a better coach that knew how to handle a situation like that in place at Alabama other than Nate, Nate Oates, I don't think the, the hand-wringing would be nearly as bad as we're talking about right now, Kyle. Well, maybe not. The 828 number just said, yes, Brandon Miller is where many of us draw the line. He provided the weapon in a murder that's worse than doing a line of coke off a stripper's ass. I'm sorry with anybody, the kids out there. Um, but, I mean, first of all, provided the weapon in a murder. While technically true, you could also frame it as he returned a weapon to a friend who asked for it back. Um, and as somebody else said a moment ago, look, all these players in the draft are young and immature. These teams that um, create a, a culture to help these young men, they excel. A good guy can get dragged down as much as misguided youth can be lifted up. Again, how you frame that truly does matter. There are a lot of ways you can frame what happened with Brandon Miller. Somebody's going to take him. They're going to give him a chance to prove that he's not what some people think that he is. That, that team could be the Charlotte Hornets. So if you're saying that's where you draw the line, I will respect that or assume that you're telling me the truth. And I understand, right? I was yelling about this a year ago, too. They got to clean up their, their act over there. The Miles Bridges stuff. James Booknight's been a problem. Like, they cannot afford to bring somebody in here who's going to make things worse. We are on the same page. I lean Scoot Henderson. But I think you got to be careful also getting up here and, and slandering a young man like Brandon Miller, too, without, you know, at least considering the fact that nobody even considered putting him in it. Would you say something like he brought the weapon to a murder? Well, nobody even considered putting him in jail. So that's a hell of a way to frame it. That's all. I also would like to point out, too, he's 19 years old. Someone says, hey, I need my gun. Probably didn't think much of it. He thought, well, he just needs it back. No, I mean, you got a lot of friends at that yeah. age, you know, teammates, you're loyal. Like I, I've said before, like, I don't know that, that I would have made a different decision at, at his age. You know, one of your friends calls you and says, hey, I need it back. What do you do? By the way, didn't he grow you, up in the country, too? Yeah, you might have taken it back. I mean, it's like, oh, you need, maybe you need to go hunting or something. I don't know. Well, no, you're not. I, well, I, maybe no, not no, no, that, no, no. Yeah, let's, you, let's not do that. Uh, true, true. But you get the point. Like, you're pretty naive. You think you still think of the best of people that they're not going to have any ill intent to what they're going to do with a gun. It, it, not saying that's right, but you have to remember, he's still very, very young, 19. So, or 1920. Sure. So that's something that I feel like people kind of ignore in situations like this and expect everyone to still be completely perfect in their decision-making by the time they're 20 just because they're an NBA draft prospect and they could be coming to our favorite team. TC says uh, a line of coke off a stripper. That's an average Friday night for an NBA player. A lot of you are... Uh... <laughs> a lot of you are uh, jumping on that line. Jess is thirsty stalker jumping in. Says, okay, you know what? I can't read. That. He says, if doing a line of coke off a stripper made you ineligible, the 90s Cowboys wouldn't have 11 eligible players. All right. I'm, I'm here for Cowboys uh, jokes. I mean, that's... 
There would be some out. There would be some. I don't know how many. But we know of some. Oh, man. All right. So, uh, Shaw X saying, KB, I doubt the Hornets would draft Miller. Um, I could be wrong, but it wouldn't make sense if they would draft Miller and bring Bridges back. If the Hornets bring Miles back, Scoot Henderson would make more basketball sense. See, that that's where I am, too. That's why I lean Scoot, Scoot Henderson. I, I just think he's got a little extra edge to him. I, I think there's an it factor there that is identifiable. I think. Again, I don't know the young man. Just based on what I've observed, what I've watched, um, I, that's why I lean him. I have no concerns about him playing with LaMelo at this point, at this point. You're not going to start him. I think he could be really dynamic in a second unit off the bench with some of the guys that we've talked about. I'm, I'm good with Henderson. But the thing is, Brandon Miller can play. And I, he's very much a possibility on Thursday night. You tune into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.